my computer at home. It just won't do it here. So. All right, we're going to Matthew, the second chapter. If you'll stand with me, we'll read the first 12 verses from the New Living Translation and talk about the greatest gift. Tommy already told us what the greatest gift was, as though there were some great surprise. Matthew chapter 2, we just stand to honor God's word because this is not a newspaper we're reading. This is the living word of God. Matthew 2, New Living Translation. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me, so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Lord Jesus, bless your word this morning as we look at it. May it minister life and peace As we enter into this Christmas season, Lord, may we know the joy of the gift that you have given us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is one of the more familiar stories of the Bible. Uh, I don't imagine there's anybody here that hasn't heard it before. But it's an amazing story of the wise men following a star that led them to Bethlehem uh, to find the Christ child. We're still not certain exactly who they were or exactly where they came from. These magi were men skilled in philosophy, in medicine, natural science, soothsayers, uh, interpreters of dreams. Uh, Ancient scholars say that they were a a group of priests and scholars from Media. Uh, If you'll remember back uh, in the Old Testament, we've studied uh, the book of Daniel at length. And in the book of Daniel, Daniel, remember, was a young man living in Israel when Nebuchadnezzar came in and conquered Israel and carried the people of Israel off captive into captivity into the land of Babylon. And Daniel was one of the young men that was carried off, as well as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that you know so well from those stories. Uh, And so these young men were carried back there. But if you'll remember the story, the king also was wise enough to educate them and raise them up in wisdom and knowledge of their times. And they were put in with the 
soothsayers or satraps or magicians of the time because of their great craftiness and wisdom and so forth. And so it was customary or it was typical of that society that they would have uh, what we would probably call a think tank these days, you know, of just the brightest young minds to come together and and, uh, keep things going and keep things moving. Well, Daniel, of course, being in Babylon for some nearly 70 years, uh, wound up writing the book of Daniel, which we still read and study today to tell us uh, prophetic statements of things that are yet to come. And so we're looking at the book of Daniel, examining his words and his prophecies to see things that are, are yet to be fulfilled. Uh, but he certainly spelled out many things that were happening that happened prior to this. Uh, Daniel chapter 9, uh, this is part of it. He says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until the Messiah, Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The streets shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. So Daniel gave some very specific dates and numbers that you could sit down and calculate and figure and count on your fingers and, and say, wait a minute, time is up, time, times have happened. Uh, he's referring to the command of, uh, to send the people of Israel back to rebuild the temple. Well, that command was given on a specific day. These guys who would then have been uh, some, not forerunner, uh, heritage, some posterity, I guess, uh, of the original group that Daniel was a part of, this had continued on. And so this wisdom, information, and uh, learning had been handed down from generation to generation. And so these, were, these guys were in the same frame of mind, same inquisitiveness, same studying of the scriptures, same uh, wanting to know, even as we do today, uh, how the scriptures are going to be fulfilled, when they're going to be fulfilled, how this is all going to work together. And so these guys were looking at these scriptures, and doubtless they had a copy of what Daniel had written. Daniel, one of, one of the critiques of the book of Daniel is that the next couple, 10, 10 11, and 12, I think, chapters of Daniel uh, give a, such a specific statement of the rise and fall of the Medes and the Persians. These guys were Medes. And then the Persian Empire, the Mede Empire, the Persian Empire, then the Greek Empire with Alexander the Greek, and then finally the Roman Empire, which was in place at the time that Jesus was born. And Daniel wrote such specific statements about those kingdoms, about their relationships, about uh, the women that they married. They they would marry daughters of other kings and, and form alliances and so forth. And Daniel spelled all that out so that critics of Daniel will look at that and say, listen, it's impossible that anybody could have given that kind of detail in advance. That's just crazy to think that anybody could know that much about what was going to happen hundreds of years after he died. Couldn't be done. So they say, we don't believe Daniel wrote that. We believe somebody wrote it afterward and stuck it into the book of Daniel to try to make it look like Daniel was this great prophet. Well, uh, these guys were still studying the works of Daniel, still looking at the things that had come to pass and wondering how all of these things would uh, fit together. And uh, one of the prophecies of Daniel, or actually it was the prophecy of Jeremiah before Daniel, Jeremiah had said God's going to carry Israel into captivity in Babylon, and there they would be for 70 years. Well, they sat down and began to calculate that, and Daniel counted 70 years and went, wait a minute, 
time is up. It's time for us to be sent home now. So he goes back to King Cyrus and says, King, look at this. It's written in the book. Even your name is in the book. 150 years before you were born, your name was written in the book. Look at this. And the book says that in 70 years after we get here, we get to go home. Time's up. Let's go home. He said, go home. Send them back. And so they were very much into these prophecies and very much into the statements that had been written down and that God had given them. And so it's uh, not surprising then that these wise men studying the Scripture would say, hey, it's time for a king to be born because there had been some very specific statements made about the timing of that. Uh, And as I said, we're still looking at the book of Daniel because there are some very specific statements made about the times that we're living in. And so they were expecting a king. In fact, the scholars say that every nation on earth at the time was expecting a king to arise. They were expecting a great world leader to appear on the horizon. And they also believed that that world leader would come out of the land of Judah, out of the tribe of Judah. And so they were anticipating and looking forward to a great king arising. So it should have come as no surprise when the wise men came and said, where, where, where can we find him? And they said, oh, right over there in Bethlehem. That's what the scripture says clearly, that that's where he's to be born. And so they came with that. Very much like today. That we're st- setting in a world that is searching the scriptures and scratching our heads and saying, you know, what we do know is the time is very near. The time is very close We don't know the exact day. We don't know the exact hour. We don't know exactly how all of these details are going to fit together and just who's going to make the first move and all of that. But we clearly have a picture painted for us in the Scripture that we can be certain that we're very close to the last day. This is exactly where they were at. They said, we're we're very close to the first coming of the Christ, and we today are very close to the second coming. And uh, by the same standard and by the same thinking, we can understand that. And uh, so they were looking for the rise of a great king. It was said that all the world was looking for the rise of a great king, very much like today. Uh, It says, when they saw the star, they were filled with great joy. Wouldn't it be great if we saw a star or a sign in the sky that said, Jesus is coming next week, you know, we, we, we would sell everything we have. We'd, we'd have a party for a week long and then starve to death thereafter, I suppose. It's been tried by other crazy groups in times past to, to have such a specific prophecy, and, and you don't. But when these wise men saw the star in the sky, they said, this is the time. This is it. Let's go. And so they headed out uh, to find that child. Now, current tradition says that there were three wise men. In fact, one of the songs we were singing this morning had uh, three uh, kings in it. There are three magi. And uh, the scripture doesn't say that, by the way. Nowhere in scriptures does it say there were just three. Uh, In fact, the early scholars said that there were probably 12. And what they were looking at and why they know that, I don't know. But that there was a a much larger group than we give. But three is convenient for a pageant, you know. You can fit three guys around the little manger scene kind of conveniently. And, of course, there's just three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, so that makes sense. And and then some have gone so far as to name these three kings. Uh, There's no evidence that they were kings. The Bible doesn't say that. 
but they brought gifts fit for a king. So somehow we've put that in there, and we seem to think that we know the names of them are, was it Melchior and Balthazar? Caspar, you know, but those names are just fictitious names that somebody's picked up to, to add interest because you won't find their names in the scripture and you won't find any backing for that. Uh, I said in first service uh, that's about as valid as Rudolph, but uh, perhaps it's more valid than Rudolph. I <laughs> that, that probably was a mean-spirited statement, all right? <laughs> but very much like today where you're searching for the answer. You're looking for something. Isn't it amazing that our world today, we're looking for a great world leader? Wouldn't it be awesome if somebody would step forward that could bring the world together, unite the world in peace, and, and, and bring harmony around the world? We've set up a one-world government. We've almost got it in place. We're just looking for the right person to take on that job and lead the world in peace and unity and one world government. Wouldn't that be awesome? What we need is a benevolent dictator. You know? Just somebody who will rule and reign with a rod of iron, but reign righteously. Reign true and holy. Do you know who that ruler is? Yeah, you said it, Jesus It's Jesus. He is a benevolent dictator. The Bible says every knee will bow. That's dictatorship. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's coming. But in the meantime, we have the Antichrist to arise to try to mimic that and to bring that into play. So their conditions were like our conditions. Their hunger for leadership, their hunger for a king, like our hunger for a king. Oh, God, the governments of this world are such a mess. The leadership of this world is such a mess. Just the time when you think that uh, we can trust somebody, you discover something else has gone wrong. You can't trust them at all. And uh, so we were in the same condition as the day when the wise men came. Now, we assume from the fact that Herod ordered all baby boys two years and under to be born, that he gained information in talking to the wise men that they had been on this journey for quite some time. You know, they didn't jump in a uh, Rolls Royce and just speed down the highway from Babylon all the way over 1,000 miles to Jerusalem. Uh, That's all wasteland and desert. You couldn't even cross that uh, in those days safely. So in all likelihood, they went way up around the Fertile Crescent and it took them months to travel from the time they left home until they arrived in Jerusalem. And uh, the larger the party of those people were, the slower they would have moved. Uh, I guess camels don't move very fast. They they get there, but they don't move real fast. So uh, Herod inquired of them apparently and after they were gone, he said, kill every baby two years and under. He just wanted to be sure he covered it all. But apparently, nearly a year or something on that order had already passed from the time the baby was born in a manger because when we get to that scripture, it said that they entered the house uh, and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And, you know, you say, well, wait a minute. I thought he was born in the manger. I thought he was born out in the stable. 
but here the scripture says they, they entered a house. Well, some time had passed, and so apparently then uh, Joseph and Mary had settled into the city of Bethlehem and found a place to stay, and the wise men found them in a house then, and they bowed down and worshipped him, and they opened their treasure chests, and they gave him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And, you know, when you look at those golds, uh, those gifts, uh, they, you think, wow, for a baby? What would you get a baby? Have you been to a baby shower lately? Anybody buy gold for a baby shower or frankincense for a baby shower or myrrh for a baby shower? No, maybe a rattle, maybe a baby bottle, maybe a blanket, uh, you know, something warm and cuddly. I mean, after all, Jesus was wrapped in swaddling cloths, so perhaps a nice warm uh, blanket or, or fuzzy pajama set would be in order. No, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold, we understand, represents wealth, money, finances, and enough of it certainly represents power and authority. And uh, so that's a, a gift that you would give to royalty. If you were coming to greet a king, you would bring a gift of gold. In fact, that was extremely common, almost required in those days. If you had an audience with the king, you would bring something extremely precious just to be able to have a chat with the king. And so they brought gold, and that makes sense, that they would bring gold to the Christ child. They didn't know who they were coming to see other than the one that had been promised, the Messiah, the Holy One. And so they brought gold. But then they also brought frankincense. And while we don't use frankincense much these days, I think it's available in small quantities if you really want to put out the money for it, uh, that, that it can be had. But frankincense is a, is a rosin from a tree, uh, much like pine pitch, uh, but it was a very fragrant uh, rosin, and it was most often ground up and burned as an incense, and as it burned, it gave off a, a strong odor. In fact, the word frank, incense, frank means strong, and incense is a powder that you burn to perfume the air, and that's derives its name frankincense. It was also mixed with oils and lotions and put into perfumes. And Avon still sells some frankincense stuff? All right. So frankincense is still still around. It's been around for centuries. uh, And it was used in those days, but it was a very rare thing. It was a very rare gift and not something that you would buy for a baby normally but a gift for royalty. And it speaks of the fragrance of the Lord Jesus Christ in his ministry, that it it, it was a sweet-smelling, you know, how do do you describe the ministry of Jesus? It was warm and it was welcoming. It it reached out to to attract uh, all whosoever will may come to the Lord Jesus Christ. So the frankincense kind of speaks of that. Uh, blessing and fragrance. And then the gift of myrrh, again, is a rosin perfume ingredient. In fact, frankincense and myrrh are two of the ingredients in the anointing oil that we were talking about last week that was required in the, in the temple. Uh, it had five ingredients in it. Two of those ingredients were frankincense and myrrh uh, in certain quantities that were, were mixed in there together. And again, myrrh, when it was mixed with oil, became a lotion and a spice that that you perfumed your body with, but it was primarily used for anointing a dead body. And those that had died, they would use the oils with myrrh in them to uh, preserve the body and prepare the body for burial. 
uh, to cover the odors and so forth. And so myrrh speaks of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Myrrh was offered to Jesus, if you think back about it, on the cross. When it said there was vinegar and myrrh mixed together, or gall, that's often called this, very bitter to taste apparently. But it was mixed with vinegar, and it was offered to those that were hanging on the cross because it has an anesthetic value to it. Uh, It is an opium derivative, or not a derivative of opium, but it's related in in its nature, and and has an anesthetic value to it. And so they would give this myrrh and vinegar to a somebody hanging on the cross to kind of dull their pain so that they could go on with the execution. Jesus, in this case, refused to take that while he was hanging on the cross. And uh, so myrrh certainly speaks of the the cross itself and certainly speaks of the death, the burial of Jesus. Well, what strange gifts to bring to a baby. It just uh, doesn't seem to fit. I wonder as the wise men journeyed home, you know, when, when you've been led of the Lord and you've done things that God has asked you to do, most often the enemy comes later and says, you know, you look like a dummy. You know, that didn't make any sense at all. You know what you said sounded so silly. Have you been there? Have you experienced that? You know that you've spoken out and the Lord has used you in some way, but afterward you're, you're trying to second-guess yourself and worry about it. So I, I'm just wondering if perhaps the wise men on their way home said, did we make a mistake? You know, I, I thought we were going to some big royal castle to, to deliver these gifts. Don't, don't you think that gold looked a little goofy in that little uh, house, humble home that they were in? And, and do they understand what frankincense is for? What on earth would they do with that? And, and myrrh, why would we give myrrh to a little baby, you know? If we were giving it to a king, if we were giving it to some royalty, that might make some sense. But to offer it to this poor little girl with her little bit of baby there in that humble home in, in Bethlehem just... Does it fit or does it not fit? And to second-guess themselves in the process. You know, when God's in it, you just do it. And when a blessing comes out of it or it has meaning to it and, and, and it is the thing that God has required, you're, you're just as excited when you discover why that worked and why that fit. I, I can't tell you the times that I've uh, said things well beyond anything I knew about and then found out later that what I said was exactly what somebody needed to hear on that particular day at that particular time. And so these wise men brought gold and frankincense and myrrh and presented it as a gift to the baby Jesus and then wandered off uh, scratching their heads, going, that's probably not what I expected. That's not the way I thought it would be. That's not the reception I thought we would get. We did what we did because we were led of the Lord and went on. Think about those gifts, but uh, they were warned. These guys were listening to God, by the way, because uh, it says when time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route because God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. So God was leading them. God had spoken to them. God brought them to this place, and God sent them home a different route. Otherwise, Herod would have come and been able to find the Christ child and and destroy him immediately. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Strange gifts for Christ's child. But that wasn't the greatest gift. The greatest gift was the child himself. Amen? 
John 3.16, you know so well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God so loved the world. You know, you talk about an inappropriate gift or an unusual gift for a situation. Think about the gift of the Christ child to this world at that time. There have been 4,000 years of history gone by, from Adam to Noah, Noah to Moses, Moses through David and Solomon and right on up until the day that Jesus was born. Not much glorious history in those 4,000 years. First 1,500 years before the day of Noah, God finally looked at mankind and said the intent of their heart is evil all the time. The intent of their heart is always evil. Noah built an ark. I'm going to take them off the face of the earth. That's the kind of people that God sent his son to. You think that after Noah got off the ark, the whole world lived in uh, obedience and, and right living before God? Certainly not. History tells us absolutely contrary to that. They were given in marriage and carrying on uh, constantly. The history of Israel, even after God gave the law to Moses, was that the children of Israel didn't like it, didn't want it, wouldn't obey it, and had to have continuous sacrifices to cover their sin. Rebellion against God. In, in, in this, you know, I, I think that if I had seen a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day, that'd be enough for me, man. I'd just be a perfect person. I would just walk so straight. I would always have it right, you know. Or maybe if I'd have been at the feeding of the 5,000 and watched them multiply the bread and the fishes, I'd say, oh, that's enough for me. I'm, he's, he's the one. I'm walking straight forever now. Or maybe walk, walk him, watch, watch him walk on water or any other miracle that you wanted to point to, you'd think, well, if I could just see that, that's all I need, then I'll be perfect. Well, that isn't in the heart of man. You're not perfect any more than I am. And there's a reason for that, because sin's in your heart. You know, It's down in our nature. And then, who knows that better than our Heavenly Father? Who understands the wickedness of man's heart? better than he and yet he sent Christ who had been seated on the throne of heaven for eternity past into the vulnerable form of an infant there isn't anything more vulnerable on earth than a human child most other animals can take care of themselves within a few days month at two at the best They can be up and on their own and survive. Not an infant. Some of them don't survive when they're 30, right? Just saying. (laughs) God put himself in that vulnerable condition. Why? Talk about inappropriate or, or just making no human sense. Why would he do that? And, of course, he, he put himself in the middle of Israel. What an, what an obedient nation Israel had been. 
Not at all. In fact, it was the church, it was the nation of Israel, it was the, the religious leadership in Israel that crucified this child. That's how far they were from the righteousness of God. They were protecting their own thing, their own job, their own traditions and destroyed the king of kings and lord of lords. And so when you look at that gift that left the throne room of heaven to come and be a vulnerable infant in the arms of Mary and Joseph, running from Herod to Egypt and then coming back to Nazareth. And, and even then, as a child, we find uh, questioning. Certainly in the city of Nazareth, he wasn't welcomed as a miracle worker or a, a mighty one. Said he couldn't do any works in Nazareth. They, they didn't have any faith in him. The scripture describes stories where his brothers and sisters came and had no confidence in him. Vulnerable, rejected, spit upon, crucified. Just say, man, all you had to do was see him walk on water and you'd know. Well, they saw him walk on water and they still didn't know. They saw him feed 5,000. They still didn't understand. The leadership of the day, the Herods, the Caiaphases, still wouldn't believe, still wouldn't follow, still wouldn't allow him to be Lord of their lives. This is the one that spoke creation into existence. Let there be light. Came as a vulnerable baby. What was God thinking? What was in God's mind to jeopardize, I suppose, that little one? Well, jeopardize he did because he was crucified for his teaching, crucified for who he said he was. The world rejected him. But in that process, God set in motion your salvation and mine. In that process, he made available to us eternal life through that little babe in the manger. He could have folded his arms and sat upon the throne of heaven for eternity and said, these people aren't worthy of my love, and we're not. These people don't deserve the gift of salvation, and we don't. These people aren't worth saving. And we're not. And yet, he gave himself. You talk about a gift. A gift that wasn't earned. A gift that doesn't have any payback. Just an outright gift of God. It was that babe in the manger. The greatest gift that could ever be given was the gift of God to a creature like you or I. And all we can do in return is praise him, thank him, and do our best to live for him. Amen? Amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you for that precious gift. As strange as gold and silver, gold and frankincense and myrrh might seem to us, even stranger still, was the gift of heaven in the manger. The Christ child came to deliver us from our sin. While we were yet in our sins, he died for us. 
Lord, we thank you. Pray that that would minister to our hearts, Lord, that we would come to understand in a better way the great gift that you have given us and that we would be able to share it with others around about us because there are so many who do not know you, loved ones that are near and dear to our hearts, that are resistant to you somehow, some way during this Christmas season, we pray that you'd open a door of conversation that we could share the love of Jesus Christ with those who have yet to open their hearts to you, we pray. Lord, we pray for our world. It's in a, in a sad condition. We, we seek your face, Lord Jesus, for peace around the world, but we know that the Prince of Peace must come to bring true and lasting peace. Lord, we hasten that day. But until then, Lord, we want to be busy about kingdom business, bringing as many with us as is possible, we pray. If you're here this morning and you have not made a decision to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the bad news is that without that, you're lost and undone. You're hopeless. And you're just as much in your sin and hopelessness as the world was on the day that Jesus first came. But if you'll open your heart and receive Christ, Jesus as the Christ, you'll have eternal life in him. Are there any here that just say, Pastor, you know what? I'm struggling with that. I need, I need to know him as my Savior. I need to acknowledge Jesus. It, it, you don't become a Christian because you go to church. You become a Christian because you put your faith and trust in Jesus. You acknowledge him for who he is, the Messiah, the Christ. Are you here this morning? Say, Pastor, pray for me because I'm there. I need that. I want to know him. Amen. Amen. Any others? Just, will you stand with me this morning and will you join me as we pray with these that have raised their hand? Saying, Dear Lord Jesus, I confess I am a sinner. My only hope is you as Savior. I ask you to forgive me of my sin and write my name in the book of life. Teach me your ways. I will follow you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.